0: Welcome to South London Hardcore. I'm Jack McEnroy and I'm here with His Majesty Steve Walsh I, <laughs> Conquering Lion of the Tribe of the Judah, King of Kings, Emperor of Ethiopia, Elect of God.
1: Hello. To give you your full title? <laughs> to give my full title. You've left out a couple of things, but we'll, we'll stick with the main ones for now.
0: Jack McEnroy, Moist Bread Dutty Chief.
1: <laughs> Jack McEnroy 2, of course. Oh, yeah, I record a second Moist so... Bread Dutty
0: Chief. <laughs> elect of God.
1: <laughs> My court jester in a lot of ways, isn't it? Very much so. you keep the hat with goals on for the rest of the show, that'd be great. Ding dong.
0: <laughs> Last week it was a football special. We put together an all time South London 11, and this week we're going to be going over some of our omissions, and then afterwards we're going to be talking about Greenwich. There was some exciting South London football news this week, Steve, did you?
1: There was a bit of a, a moment, wasn't it? Almost a moment. I don't
0: know if we're talking about the same thing though. You were talking about Crystal Palace. I was going to talk about Crystal Palace. Surely, that's the, Crystal number Palace. One,
1: that's the number one moment of the week. It was, uh, I feel I feel bad talking about it as a moment because it was uh, an opportunity, I guess. You know, wonderful cup run, um, knocked out Man United.
0: At, at Old Trafford? Yeah,
1: you know, that's not bad. Not many teams. I mean, Spurs famously don't do well against top four <laughs> <laughs> sides, <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, they so they got to the semi-final of the Carlin Cup, went in 1-0 up uh, into the second leg and obviously went out on penalties ultimately against Cardiff and they won't be facing Liverpool in the final. But we did put some videos up on the website this week, Steve, of uh, Crystal Palace from 1990.
1: Another great cup run with uh, some of the, well, one of our South London Eleven featuring prominently, of course, in that particular cup run. Ian Wright, right. yeah.
0: yeah. And also Alan Pardew, Andy Gray,
1: you know. More um, Dulwich Hamlet alumni.
0: Yeah, and speaking <laughs> of which, Dulwich Hamlet Crystal Palace links. This is the news from this week.
1: Is it a transfer? It is. Yeah, I've heard whispers about this. Michael you can, Michael Chambers.
0: Yeah, yeah um, he was linked with all the big clubs. You know, as they are these young players, they're linked with either everybody at the top or nobody. You know. Um, Barcelona but,
1: in, into Milan they're the ones in Ajax yeah. and
0: uh, Arsenal but yeah he's gone to Crystal Palace Michael Chambers it is uh, Dalich Hamid defender I think he's 17 last time I went to see Dalich uh, midweek game he was sitting three or four rows in front of me and there was no one in between obviously <laughs> it was a <laughs> Tuesday night you know but he was yeah he was sitting there eating a sandwich and asking uh, for a Blackberry charger if anyone had one <laughs> but, where was he going to plug it in? He's got access Hello. to everywhere in the ground, does he? I reckon he's going back up to the bar, is Yeah,
1: he could go anywhere in the ground and go on place in.
0: But I took a photo of him there. I just took Black a kind of a sneaky photo of No, he's kind of side profile. <laughs> kind of.
1: Did you throw something at Michael Chambers to get a, a profile picture of him? <laughs>
0: Mate! <laughs> Mate, I've got a Blackberry charger <laughs> <laughs> What?
1: Who left this Blackberry charger here? Um, the good news, I think, you know, obviously it's not Barcelona, Inter Milan, Real Madrid. It's not, a, you know, a, a European superpower he's gone to. But... If you're a young player, 17, you know, making your first steps in a professional career, Chris is one of the best clubs in the country to do it, isn't it? Their record at the moment of bringing on players of that age and getting them into Premier League teams. And, you know, at the moment, hopefully building the club to get into Premier League themselves. You know.
0: Yeah, there's, up there. yeah, I think there's a uh, talk that he's uh, he's been in touch with Rio Ferdinand and Rio Ferdinand's sort of guiding him. I maybe, maybe he's downloaded Real Ferdinand's new app as well. There's some other things on the website as well from this week. Um, there's a piece on Edgar Kale written by my dad uh, about Edgar Kale's school days. You've read it, Steve.
1: <laughs> have you not? You mm. have, of course yeah. you have. I have read it, no, various... I, haven't. No? I
0: copied and pasted it, but I have read it. <laughs> I'll read it by the time this article, this uh, podcast goes up.
1: It's um, Yeah, it's great. Your dad also dug out, we haven't put it on the website yet, but I think we're going to, another. Uh, and also ties in directly to last week's show. We were talking about Edgar Cowell being, you know, a remarkable factor, of him being a non-league footballer, a, a, an amateur footballer who, who played for England. And he does make footage of his debut against France.
0: Yeah, it's in the early 30s, isn't it? Yeah. Extraordinary that such a thing would... Uh, must be so thrilling for him and the handful of people that... Um,
1: I was excited to see. It, was, it sort of popped up on Facebook. On the post- and there's
0: uh, also E.H. Uh, e. Coleman, a.k.a. Bert Coleman, a.k.a. Tim Coleman... The Dulwich keeper who played once for England.
1: Yeah, the the keeper who we realised they have names Burton and Ernie, and this is before Sesame Street. Isn't
0: it? <laughs> and going back to 1990, there are highlights of Crystal Palace versus Man United in the FA Cup final, the free all, the great FA Cup final. Obviously, Crystal Palace losing the replay, which you can watch on our website, embedded. <laughs> which links nicely to our first omission, really. Danny Wallace played in that game for Manchester United. We didn't even mention him, Steve.
1: And as you pointed out, you messaged me to say, we we forgot about Danny Wallace. To which I replied, that means we forgot all the Wallaces. Because it's a mini... Is it a dynasty? If It's one generation? William Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> I can't give any other
0: Wallaces now. To... Christopher Wallace. Christopher Biggest Moores Wallace.
1: <laughs> Danny Wallace, the humorist.
0: We missed him too. Missed Dave Gorman. <laughs>
1: But yeah, that's the thing. If you if you miss, it's like uh, the Allen clan. If you miss uh, one Wallace, you miss them all. And they were was it, it was three brothers, weren't it?
0: Yeah, Ray Ray didn't amount to very much. Danny Wallace, who played for Man United, um, he obviously won the FA Cup in 1990. He won the cup, winners cup as well with Man United, and the League Cup. Played once for England, scored one goal as well. <laughs> and Rod Wallace, uh well, he won the title at Leeds, didn't he? Yeah. In Rangers, his first season at Rangers. He won the treble, he was top scorer and scored the winning goal in the cup final, do you know? And he won the double the next season. When you season. say
1: top scorer, can I have a guess? You, do you know the number of goals he scored? Uh,
0: 24, 28 or something
1: like that. My guess was going to be about 75. It's, it's the, it's the <laughs> Scottish Premier League, isn't
0: it? I remember at the time when he went there, it was a bit comedy that Rod Wallace was playing for the champions of yeah. Scotland. But, I mean, you know, to mock Scottish football, I think is uh, not fair, is it? It's like holding a midget at arm's length.
1: It, it cheapens all of us, doesn't it? Or
0: a dwarf. <laughs> Notably, though, Danny Wallace, remember he scored the goal of the season and it was against Tottenham, wasn't it? 93-94. What a goal. I mean, oh, beautiful. It, goes, it almost goes off for a throw-on. You know that clip... I mean, it was
1: so good. You celebrated when he scored. That's how good it was. No?
0: No, it's like, you know that clip of um, Gaza from Euro 96 when the ball's um, against Germany oh, in an right, extra time, or late in the game anyway, and the ball comes over and he just can't stretch it the region. Every it time you yeah. watch it, you sort you of convince... He's gonna, yeah, yeah. Is that like with Rod Wallace. Every time he goes to the touchline, you think he's going to go out for a throw at the halfway <laughs> line <laughs> and they won't score the greatest goal of the Premier League <laughs> era. But alas. Another one, Alex Stepney.
1: Yeah, I think we made a point of saying... We were like, the thing is, Peter Benetti, you know... Good that we've got a goalkeeper, but there's no there's no others, is there? Mm-hmm. You know, he's a good one, but there's no others. There's no other, you know, goalkeeper's point in South London. There was.
0: First South Londoner to win the European Cup. Yeah. It, you know, the first English team to win the European Cup.
1: This thing, we, we'd feel a bit silly if he played a couple of seasons for Fulham. And, you know, he's eventually kind of... This guy played for Man United. And obviously, you know, the name of I, I never... I was assumed he was a Northerner. Well,
0: no. he yeah. played. He's from Mitchum. Played for Tottenham, and Mitchum. Yeah. He played for Millwall as well. And obviously, yeah, won the, went to Man United, won the European Cup. Also played for Dallas Tornado, which I know you like, Steve.
1: Just when you think you can't love a man anymore, it turns out he played soccer in North America.
0: He seems to be one of those goalkeepers, though, like you were saying about Peter Benetti, sort of stunk behind other good goalkeepers. And he only played once for England. And I've, that was in 1968. Yeah, 1968. Um, he was in the European Championship squad and nineteen seventy he was in the World Cup squad. I think really that means Peter Benetti got what seven caps was it? Yeah. He only got one. So I think we're kind of safe of Peter Benetti in the goal. But certainly worth giving Alex Stepney a mention.
1: Absolutely. Didn't you discover a, a remarkable goal scoring record he had for a short time?
0: Oh yes, yeah. Yeah. He um in uh, I can't remember exactly which year it was now. Um but at one point it was Christmas and he was Manchester United's top scorer with two goals, <laughs> two penalties.
1: What's nice about the story is there's two things. First of all, it's amusing that any goalkeeper is a team's top scorer that late in the season. Second of all, it reminds us there was a time when Man United were rubbish, weren't they? <laughs> just terrible at football. They were getting relegated and all sorts. And like, now it's just unimaginable. But
0: So, yeah, none of these omissions make it into the team, but worth mentioning. No. And there's one more. Uh, we were saying about Peter Bonetti. He's the only South Londoner that's won the World Cup, which is not that much of a surprise. He was the only South Londoner in the in the squad. He didn't play at all um, in the 1966 tournament, but the uh, FA campaigned for non-playing squad members of all countries to get medals, and in 2009, all the players from 1930 to 1974 that went to World Cups and didn't play, they were all awarded medals. So there's photos of Jimmy Greaves and Ian Callaghan is in Cullenland still alive? I don't know. But Jimmy Greaves outside down the street anyway, getting his medal. And uh, Peter Benetti got his in 2009. But interestingly, in the in Alf Ramsey's provisional forty-man squad, there was another South Londoner who never played for England. Played for England under 23s. Um, Marvin Hinton.
1: You ever heard of him? I've never heard of him. It's a great name.
0: He was a Chelsea player. Um, he played for uh, Charlton, and then he went to Chelsea, and he won the League Cup at Chelsea and the FA Cup as well. Doing research on other players from London, other parts of London, it became clear pretty soon that North and West London and South London really wouldn't have much of a chance against East London. Quite astonishing the amount of players from there.
1: Well, you've, you've said the East London second 11 will probably beat any other 11 from any other part of London, and also that if an East London 11 played the rest of London 11, they'd probably still win.
0: I think so. I think you'd at least have a game on. Oh, I bet you'd have a game on. Geographically, there are some difficulties where North London is a lot smaller than South London. If you know, if you take West and East London out of it, say so it's a kind of it's difficult to, you know, compare these things. But if we just sort of reel off an East London eleven with with di- it's difficult in goals, Steve. Right? We struggle with
1: goalkeepers, don't we? Yeah, it's very difficult. Part of
0: London you go. Well, to. there are much less, aren't they? Only one plays at a time, you know. Whereas that's a good point. We've gone for Harry Swepstone in goal.
1: One of the founders of uh, Corinthians, which is a legendary football club from the amateur era.
0: The thing is, it's such a solid defence that I think you could almost put anyone in goal.
1: Well, the thing is, if you were going to have him in goal, you'd have an issue with penalties. Do you know the thing about Corinthians and penalties? No. Uh, Because they were amateurs and they felt that uh, only gentlemen played the game, they didn't accept the concept of penalties they didn't think they they would they would never deliberately try and uh, foul someone so if a penalty was awarded against them uh they uh, wouldn't contest it and the goalkeepers were instructed to stand to one side and let their opponent score the penalty into an empty net and similarly if a penalty was awarded to them they wouldn't accept it as a deliberate foul so they would deliberately miss the penalties they were awarded to them. where are they now
0: <laughs> that defense i was talking about steve Ashley Cole and Paul Parker at full-backs. In the middle, right? I've gone for Ledley King and Bobby Moore, right? <laughs> and that's with, omitting Sol Campbell and Des Walker.
1: And the thing is, if you put in Sol Campbell and Des Walker, people go, that's a decent central defensive partnership. People go, that? they're better than
0: Keith Stevens. <laughs> in midfield, Martin Peters, David Beckham, Terry Venables and Trevor Brookin. And up front, Jimmy Greaves and Jeff Hurst. (laughs) Finally. The greatest English striker of all time, and a guy that's got a hat-trick in the World Cup final. (laughs) And that's not a gag. I've not done that set up as a gag, Steve.
1: But just in terms of strength and depth, that's not bad, is it?
0: Well, on the bench, you've got um, Les Allen, Clive Allen, Jermaine Defoe, Les Bennett. Teddy Sheringham, Eddie Bailey. I'm frightening these Tottenham names as if people have heard of them. <laughs> We're
1: but. not even going to mention John Terry. Are we? We're going to mention John Terry. Oh, John,
0: I forgot about John Terry. Oh,
1: it's fine. He's you not can. in there. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful to be mm. looking at 11 and sort of go... Uh, don't know, if John Sydney, Terry was
0: from South London, it would be a Maria Ferdinand.
1: If it was, if uh, John Terry was from South London, it would be Keith Stevens and Maria Ferdinand <laughs> and we'd be laughing at John Terry in South London. But no, uh,
0: Ledley King, Bobby Moore, Sol Campbell and Des Walker...
1: Don't have any fullbacks. just play those four strung across the back.
0: And you've got a few managers. You can have it, Terry Venables as the manager. Trevor Brookings, Steve, what was his record as West Ham as manager?
1: Uh, he lost one game in uh, 14, which is interesting. bad. Him.
0: But should yeah. we have Alf Ramsey?
1: The man who won the World Cup? Uh, yeah, let's go for a World Cup winner. There won't be a problem with it. Of course, if you put Alf Ramsey as manager, he'll probably drop through your Greaves, on not at some point? Because that's what he did to... Uh...
0: Jimmy Greaves was injured. Was, injured, was he injured? I yeah, know. and then Jimmy Greaves got back from injury, and Jeff Hurst was playing all right,
1: I think, something like that. Playing all right, he plain, did all right. right. <laughs>
0: the struggle with the, the 1966 World Cup is just come to the point where I just can't watch it without feeling sad about Jimmy Greaves.
1: Uh, no, I can appreciate that.
0: The greatest single striker of all time.
1: Yeah,
0: but yeah, it does put the Southampton eleven to shame a little bit, just a tad. <laughs> but we don't. I mean, we don't have to dwell on the negatives. The
1: thing is, without wanting to cast aspersions on players' ability. We made certain selections, Keith Stevens and Laurie Sanchez being possibly yeah. the notable ones, where there's a romance about that selection. But
0: even if we go with our best eleven, which may be to put David Rowcastle in instead, <laughs> and to take out Keith Stevens and put in Chris Small in, I don't think it's going to be East London, <laughs> is it? East London hardcore.
1: Yeah, uh, Chris Small possibly would get twisted up by Jimmy Greaves at one point. <laughs> possibly. The man we chose to manage our South London eleven was Vic Buckingham. Uh, born in Greenwich, as a couple of the players were as well.
0: Sean Phillips. Yep.
1: Glenn Johnson. Toilet City (laughs) for Glenn Johnson. To give him his full birth name. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's Greenwich we're going to be talking about today. Greenwich comes to prominence in the 15th century with uh, the building of a royal palace there. That royal palace uh, then becomes the birthplace of Henry VIII... And two of his daughters, Mary I and Queen Elizabeth I, which I think for one royal palace. That's extraordinary. Yeah, isn't it? if you're going to get some royals born there, arguably Henry VIII and Elizabeth I, the two most famous. Yeah, I reckon. It's probably those two, then Victoria.
0: Yeah, those would agree, the wouldn't they? You
1: might slot Victoria above Henry, possibly Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Still, I don't know. But either way. And Mary, you know, bloody Mary. She's bloody not in, Mary. <laughs> not insignificant. So you get this place that. Uh, Gets a royal palace, but becomes a, a favourite royal palace. and so suddenly loads of royals are born there. So more and more sort of uh Didn't have a good maternity ward. <laughs> uh, that's the thing about royals. They tend to get good maternity care and any other sort of health care they need. Um, yes, the royal palace is built. Royals are born there. So, as I say the place comes to prominence. This continues until the Civil War, where obviously the royals go away. Um, at this point, the palace falls into disrepair. It's used during the Civil War as a prisoner of war camp, which is quite ironic given the fact that it's, and then ends up, at the start of the Civil War, it's a a prisoner of war camp. By the end of the Civil War, it's a biscuit factory, (laughs) which (laughs) arguably is probably as low. I mean, the irony of it being a prisoner of war camp, possibly holding royalist prisoners is funny enough for Rob has biscuit factory. It's almost like a, a slap in the face, isn't it? What are we going to do with that beautiful building over there that's given birth or, you know, been the birthplace of uh, various... We'll just uh, have a biscuit patch here. Um, It becomes a hospital then in the 17th century, um, a a residential hospital for injured sailors. That sort of starts the link between Greenwich as a place, uh, as a a naval centre and a centre for royalty. It's almost like a convergence of the two ideas. That continues into the 19th century when... The palace becomes a naval training centre, so it transitions from royal palace to hospital for, for the navy to a naval training centre via a biscuit factory, <laughs> via a biscuit factory and a prisoner of war camp. Um, and it's really at this point that arguably it becomes it has its most absurd moment, where in nineteen sixty two, as part of naval training exercises, obviously at this point you have the emergence of nuclear submarines, and it's a naval training centre. So the Royal Navy install a nuclear reactor <laughs> into uh, the Royal Palace at Greenwich so they can train people uh, how to use reactors for when they're going on to nuclear... Which
0: We could have had our own Chernobyl, steam. Well, is the, the thing. On
1: the one hand, that's very sensible. You should definitely train people mm. who are going to be handling nu- how to use nuclear reactors. Whether you should install a nuclear reactor in a palace built in the 15th mm. century next to a major metropolitan centre, I'm not too sure about if you get any sort of nuclear leak from that reactor, uh, it's pretty much all over for London, isn't it? Yeah, it's really it's just bizarre. Like in, in terms of like a two minute warning, I don't know how much worth a two minute warning is when it's on a hill just over there. You can sort of see it from mm. uh, most part, most parts of South London. Um, that reactor stays in place. ...until 1999. <laughs> so I, I only get, we only get to the sort of verge of the 21st century. Or broader of the Millennium Day. <laughs> get rid of that reactor. <laughs> this could really affect the tourist trade. Yeah, so um, it's uh, a remarkable place to sort of, I think, go from... I, you know, I can't think of another building. People talk about the history of the Tower of London. Oh, it's a prison and it was a royal residence. This place was a prison, a royal residence, a biscuit factory... And home to a nuclear reactor. It's not bad, is it? And, and right, the birthplace of it. three prominent roles. But we can you can, yeah. you can drop that out if you want. Just have the, the nuclear reactor. Another prominent building in Greenwich is the Royal Observatory. Obviously centre of uh, a number of remarkable things, really, over the years. Um, built in 1676, during the reign of Charles II. Charles II tried to restore the Royal Palace. But it never really took, which is, I think, is why it became the naval hospital. He, tried, he sort of started to respect, But he never loved the palace in the same way that other people did. So it never really got the attention that the project deserved. On the other hand, with the birth of the Royal Society and the emergence sort of scientific community in England, he was very much behind that. Um, and you get the Royal Observatory, which is the first purpose-built scientific research centre in the United Kingdom. Wow. Which is, yeah. Good work, isn't it? We're gonna have we're gonna have anything in South London. Let's it's a better get that. use of money, isn't it, than splashing all over a palace? How many palaces have you got? We haven't got any royal observatories, you know. And you realise that. Fair play to him. Um, he also established the, the post of astronomer royal, which I think if you can have a job,
0: is it vacant at the moment?
1: It's constantly. It's more or less a ceremonial role now. It's, it's sort of it doesn't have the same sort of uh, duties that it once did, um, but still as a job title. What me? is it? You look
0: for a telescope, tell the king what's going on. <laughs>
1: essentially yeah, essentially that was a job. It was the sort of like uh uh study it was basically at the time it it was um a knowledge race as much as anything in Europe. You didn't have an arms race in a sense, but if you could be the place where various things were discovered or, or founded, mm. then you know, it was kudos to particularly at that point you still got you know, the roles are still important at that point. It's, it's hard for us to imagine that, because for us they're just tabloid uh, fodder, aren't they? Pictures on money. Yeah, exactly. It's, just, it's an idea, and you go, uh, you know, just, it's, and it's a ridiculous idea. tourist trap, isn't it? But at this point, mm. the king's so important that he wants, you know, he's prepared to put money into being the king on, on whose watch things are discovered. So yeah, he wants people to make discoveries and found things, and this starts to pay off. In the 18th century, uh, the Ashana role is Edmund Haley. Rock around the clock. <laughs> yeah that's right rock and roll is discovered in the reign of King Charles II and you know we're still listening to it today so that paid off you might be stiff <laughs> this quiff is not a joke yeah. <laughs> Party, yeah. it's a lifestyle choice don't hate on me <laughs>
0: Haley's Comet though
1: Haley's Comet you know which I don't know it has huge cultural problems even today we sort of refer to it in a way that you yeah, know, it's we, like a household comet. We, we, don't, we don't have any You know, name another comet. I dare you.
0: Yeah, I remember there was an episode of uh, Maid Marian and her merry men. <laughs> and there was a gag about Halley's vomit. But, like, it's the only comet. Is that like you're saying? But you can
1: do that. You can do a joke about Halley's Comet and people get it. In the 19th century, arguably uh, the Royal Observatory's greatest moment, um, when the astronomer Royal at the time, George Airy, manages to canvas for and get the Prime Meridian to be located at Greenwich.
0: Yeah, that's uh, quite incredible, isn't it? It's the place I mean, where that's time what is measured from. That's, it's the know. place where time is invented and created, isn't it, Steve, Greenwich? Yeah. People go, is. there's a big factory up at the top of that hill, <laughs> and they churn out, there's people working in are churning out time. I thought time was an abstract concept, but no, it, turns it, it turns out it's a out physical, physical thing crank, cranked that out. comes from Greenwich.
1: <laughs> the importance of this is shown by the fact that at the time there's a huge scientific congress, and Airy manages to canvas for and get um, the primary location located at Greenwich, the French are furious. They word Paris. Meantime, um, mm. didn't get it.
0: Paris Montant.
1: It would be PMT, which you know would be a <laughs> whole different raft of other jokes, wouldn't it? Um, they refused to go into Gage. Meantime, for another ten years, wow. which is incredible, really, isn't it? How do they measure those ten years? <laughs> yeah, what's it, what was it, ten years in their money? I mean, crazy. Um, in a ten years' time, after this happens, um, there's a terror attack on the observatory in 1894, um, a French anarchist uh, called Marshal Bourdain attempts to attack the observatory with bombs. On the internet, when you look at, at this particular uh, incident, people seem puzzled as to his motives. And I was, I, I was just reading it again. well, the French were really angry. Mm. Then a Frenchman tries to blow it. And it's 10 years later, but possibly tied into the fact that at this point the French... Adopt GMT? I don't know. He's an anarchist and he died from his wounds at the time no one could could question him as to his actual motives. But... Say, possible. <laughs> yeah, it's not incroyable, is it? That's the... <laughs> <laughs> also online, I saw it described as uh, the first incident of international terrorism in the UK, which made me think uh, immediately the gunpowder plot. Which Guy surely Hawks. is before that and an international... Yeah, he's foreign. Yeah, so... That's incorrect, Steve. You found something incorrect on my.: That was on Wikipedia. And decided to that was on Wikipedia. And, it, and it's not actually factually correct, so who knew? You're um, just
0: bashing Wikipedia constantly, aren't you, on look, this podcast? I
1: love, I love Wikipedia so much. Were you affected by Wikipedia blackout?
0: I was, actually. Do you know what I was looking up? What were you looking at? I was looking up um, if Hotton was the name of the fictional village near Emmerdale,
1: <laughs> And there was a blackout. <laughs> Did you find that? No, I didn't go back and check the next day. I was trying to find out the difference between the ranking of cast members on Saturday Night Live to send you a gag in a text. I like, to a guess. I think I got it right. I got it right, didn't I?
0: Yeah, I didn't get the joke, though, at first. That's fine. No, I didn't realize you were referring it's to SNL. It's
1: because Wikipedia was down. He didn't have a chance to check it. But it really uh, occurred to me that day, like... How, when we talk about the internet, a lot of times we mean Wikipedia. (laughs) Yeah. We go, I'll check it on the internet. You you mean Wikipedia. When we
0: say Google, we mean Wikipedia. Yeah,
1: (laughs) Yeah, because you Google things. The first thing that comes up is the Wikipedia entry for it, and you click on that, and everything you need is there. I
0: only use Google because the Wikipedia search engine is not very good. I I, I, I type in Wikipedia Hotten, and it takes me to the Wikipedia (laughs) Hotten page.
1: In the 20th century, less of a sort of international achievement, but quite a significant one. Um, The Australian Royal at the time is Frank Dyson. And he introduces the six pips. And You're... then he
0: invented the hoover.
1: <laughs> Same day. Morning and afternoon. Just, he never rested that guy. What's he doing the next day? Who knows? Hand isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> What's great is, uh, it's a podcast, and you mind how you would use an airblade, which is hanging, I'm doing it now. To, do you know something I never
0: day. get tired of? is people on podcasts referring to other podcasters as doing physical actions.
1: Wonderful. It always cracks me up. Yeah. I'm like, oh, imagine they're doing stuff <laughs> about this only yeah. a microphone. So you've got, number one, someone doing something physical, and then number two, someone who's playing something physical. Right. This is what podcast is all about. Um, yeah, he um, comes up with the idea of six pips at the top of the hour, which will be uh, January at, at Greenwich. It's soon picked up by the BBC and heads, mostly on the radio, although you hear it occasionally on the news, but basically it's the, the, the pips that sort of sound in the hour um, on radio and television. The rules are, apparently, it's a, a BBC sort of rule of thumb, you don't crash the pips, that's what they call it. If the pips are playing, you don't go across it. Sometimes people do for comic effect, or they get celebrities to do something. Or John what
0: Barnes is broadcasting.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> when I started secondary school, there was this talk about the pips and it was the beeps that uh you know when the lesson was over beep 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 and you go to the next lesson and i'd never I'd never heard of it before,
1: but of course you went to a nautical school which again ties into Greenwich's uh, tradition of Naval
0: history as well. Yeah, we never had any links to Greenwich. Weirdly, that really? that yeah. What's the name? The Cutty Sark which burnt down recently. Yeah, yeah. You'd have thought we'd have at least gone to visit that, but
1: no. I imagine like half your lessons were there. I imagine there's like shuttle buses constantly taking you up there. We
0: went to the Docklands all the time. I that don't mean, think that Greenwich. Makes sense well. Greenwich is not, if it's not a naval college anymore, it's not that practical as a naval centre, is it? No, not really that useful for the yeah. practising nautical schoolboy. <laughs>
1: When we get T-shirts made for a show, one of them is going to say, practicing for school. <laughs> <laughs> and I predict here and now, it will be our bestseller. Uh, Actually, it'll be our second bestseller. Uh, eight-year-old Brutalist is going to be our bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> Don't crash the cough. <laughs> so now you have an idea of um, Maritime Greenwich, which is the buildings uh, and places... Concern mostly obviously with uh, Greenwich as and, and naval center but also the royal history of greenwich um and these buildings and places lead to greenwich uh or well, maritime greenwich being named as a world heritage site by unesco which is on wow. yeah, with river uh, machu Picchu yeah there's lots of lots from around the world four in london
0: wow how many how many are there all together what kind of percentage is four
1: uh i think it's something like 700 Okay, right. But, I mean, you know, I think that there's about, I think there might be up to 100 in England. If you think. So Stonehenge. Yeah, yeah, places like that, yeah. Um, Bermondsey Spa? Isn't, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> um, Westminster, which they, they well, sort of. The whole of, area? Well, they sort of say Westminster Palace and the Abbey, that sort of particular you know.
0: Oh, well, I guess it's across the road from each other. So yes, yeah, Parliament legit, and the, yeah, yeah, so that sort of... They're not including, like, the Tube Station and the Tesco, are they?
1: No, that side of the road is out. <laughs> um, Tower of London is a uh, UNESCO World Heritage Site. Another one in South London, Kew Gardens.
0: Never been there. Should we go there for the podcast, Steve? Take yeah. the microphone with us.
1: I've been. It's well expensive.
0: Should we not go there?
1: <laughs> what if we go there and explain we're from South London Hardcore? Right is, it a, is it a name that opens doors yet? It's not, is it? It's a name, possibly, that gets doors closed. It's a name that cries open windows. <laughs> is it? Is it a name that uh, sort of gives one of us a push over the, the wall at Q Gardens while the other one inside finds a door to open to let the first one in?
0: It's a name that kicks the heads off flowers, Steve. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a name that climbs near a pagoda <laughs> while wearing no trousers and then leaves with uh, very few signs of air. That is what essentially... <laughs> show living though and this is all culminated uh Greenwich's rich history' has culminated now to um uh an award that's been given this year by the queen It's her diamond jubilee this year to to mark Greenwich's legacy as a, a royal centre and uh historical place of importance. It becomes a royal borough this week uh I think the ceremony itself takes place on Friday and there's a weekend celebration in, in Greenwich. There's going to be various firework displays and uh, parades and talks. Um,
0: Check it out.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I don't know. I think I'm actually working over the weekend which is going to be really annoying because it it would be, I, I'm not a big visitor to Greenwich um, but I think it would be a time to go. I think it, you're going to be seeing Greenwich at its best.
0: It's a very touristy place anyway, Greenwich. You go there and unlike any anywhere else sort of... Uh outside of central London really you know that you're bumping into Americans yeah people
1: walking around with backpacks on and stuff you know there's a lot to see though I suppose I think the prime meridian is a real you know you yeah. will get people who come to London and will make a point of going there just to stand on the line isn't it yeah and as it turns out uh the meridian itself is about three foot off of where the line actually is yeah I know Crazy. So so if you so,
0: walk three feet of side, you've hit that line at some stage. Well, right? the thing
1: is, I just like the idea of all these people standing in the line, making them, yeah, possibly coming from like, you know, San Jose or, you know, Madrid or Canberra, sort of coming all around the world and sort of going, and stand in this line. It's not the line. Wish be <laughs> <laughs> <And laughs> on podcasts. Why don't they the just do, do well. a
0: new line? I,
1: I, I'm assuming it's something to do with. Uh, the world turning and the line possibly just moves around a lot I have no idea I'm not an Astronomer Royal you might have guessed oh, from my phrasing of uh, I think it might be something to with the world <laughs> moving
0: <laughs> we need to get in touch with the Astronomer Royal or Wikipedia at least at least I only live up the road really I'm in New Cross so boom Deptford you're in uh, Greenwich it's very pleasant there's a lot of places to eat there you know there's a lot of coffee places places to eat dinner You've got a lovely park as well. The plot's really pleasant. Um, lovely view from up the top of the hill as well. Uh, Paul Rhodes Bakery, I'm a big fan of. The cinema's really good. They've got the leather sofas in there. they so get a coffee or whatever. It's one of those nice Really civilised. It? Way well, yeah, pitch, pitch House. I was going it. to say it's Pitch House. Isn't it? I went to the Stratford Pitch House um, uh, a few days ago to see Shane. Very, very good. And it's, just, it's exactly the same setup where you've got just like a load of comfortable seats and they're Sort of pushing a kind of independent angle, even though they're obviously not independent. They're a chain, <laughs> but yeah, lots of places there to get a decent coffee or a decent meal. The markets there as well. You ever been to the
1: market? I've been to the market.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Yes, the, yeah, loads of different sort of world foods you can eat there as well. But when we went recently, Lakeisha insisted that we go and get fish and chips. I well, just say insisted It makes it sound like I don't like fish and chips. I love yeah. fish and chips. Drag
1: these quite sufficient. Uh,
0: the Great British Chip Shop.
1: See that straight away, tourist trap, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that's the thing. They trapped me. <laughs> it was horrible, undercooked chip. You know, undercooked, chip, hard chips, and they run out of everything. The place was a mess. You know, there was just like chips everywhere. <laughs> They'd run out of stuff, <laughs> but they'd managed to get everything all over the tables. <laughs> they'd with, run out uh, of
1: stuff because they'd done that. They obviously, just after lunch, how much I went, no one else is going to come in now. Just smear fish all over everything.
0: There's an appalling branch of Waterstones there as well. Not just because I hate Waterstones, <laughs> but you, I, I went in there to look at film books once, and it's just an absolutely pitiful selection of stuff. Maybe things have improved a little, but I doubt it.
1: Waterstones related news. Uh, and this is only of the vaguest relevance to the show, but um, it's also got an element of ambush about it, which I like. When I tell you what I'm going to tell you, you're not allowed to instinctively shout out the person's name. Just because, you know, let's make it clear, this isn't the person that deserves our consideration. Let's not become that show. We're not, you know, let's not put names on it. It's not, let's not worry about. Um, if I say to you that a woman we work with who spent her time in the staff room in <laughs> Europe's biggest bookshop at the time with a chance to read anything in the world, pretty much, is available. You know, you've got a lot of things to choose from. Joe spent time in his half room reading a crisp packet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, Could you put a name on it? Potato. <laughs> um,
1: he is now a store manager. No. Yeah, isn't that incredible? Well, which store? I can't say, because that also gives away the game. But, um... You know, I. you, know, you hear... Just the mime voice. it. Mime which story <laughs> That's right, it's that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's the thing. Uh, we worked at Waterstones in a particularly dark time for the company. You like to think things are improving. But then you hear that someone who, through choice goes for a crisp packet <laughs> of something to read. You know, it, you can't think of it as a reasonable place for, for literate people to go to. And let's make it very clear, I've got a lot of people, and some of you, that we love who work for Waterstones and York. Yeah, yeah, but there are a lot of people that work. I
0: hate, Steve. There
1: are. This is and true. And because
0: of that, I want to say, go to Amazon and buy books. <laughs> or go to uh, Daunt or somewhere or your local bookshop. But this is a problem. Or a different website.
1: You can go into a Waterstones and it can be very wrong. That, and I think that was your experience in... Uh, Greenwich that time,
0: yeah, just rubbish, wasn't it? Yeah, rubbish little and rubbish it, selection. It really
1: shouldn't be because everything's in place, you know. If they well, want... it's not,
0: is it? We've got awful human beings running, managing. it's well, the thing:
1: you've got a great chance to have loads of books, and you've got people who want to work for you that know stuff, but they don't. You know, want them to get on with it. They want to promote people who think the crisp Packets are the future of uh... <laughs> Forget about Kindles. <laughs> 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 if people want skips <laughs> <use>, don't they? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've got a cough Steve man you're making it worse
1: <laughs>
0: <coughs> the only landmark in the UK visible from space Steve
1: is it the Millennium Dome
0: I just made that up but if <laughs> if you were if you were in like some kind of jetpack and you were going up <laughs> that's sort of the the, um, the only man made thing you could we're see we're claiming that we're distance. not scientists
1: at certain points and yet what, a lot of what we're saying you know in terms of experimental ideas
0: but it did, it literally changed the, uh, not so much the skyline, but the bird's eye view line, if that's not Yeah, what well no,
1: it transformed it. the landscape, didn't it, in so many ways. It transformed the landscape. Yeah, you had the Opening actual... Opening
0: titles of EastEnders are different now.
1: With, but also the building itself, but also the, the transport infrastructure, just the, the, well, the fact was, it was wasteland, wasn't it? It was literally yeah. just, uh, you know, and possibly, I think there might, it was a hazardous wasteland to it as well, possibly. And really? Yeah, so develop that. In the, in the same way, a lot of what's happening with the um, Olympic development in East London at the moment as well now. Well, Stratford's nice, any exactly wasteland, is it? Well, no, there, there's certain parts of it where uh, they're building, where there hasn't been buildings for for a while. And new, infra, nice. new infrastructure. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And that's what you've got with um, with the Millennium Dome. You've got new sort of transport links for the area and, uh, you know, new business opportunities which regenerate. In the the Jubilee church. line. Yeah, absolutely. The lovely Jubilee line as nobody's ever called <laughs> it. A friend of ours, Glenn, worked at the Millennium Dome when it was the Millennium Experience.
0: Yeah, best job he's ever had, he says. Yeah,
1: he, uh, he, I was talking to him last week and he was saying, on the last day, they're all uh, just so upset. Yeah, everyone so was tearful. just weeping, weren't yeah, they? And just taking
0: sort of... plasma screens off the wall.
1: <laughs> Did you ever go to the Millennium Dome?
0: I didn't. I, d- I didn't realise at the time that it was only going to be there a year because I didn't really pay <laughs> attention at uh, the age of 17 to so yeah. things like that.
1: I was a bit older and a bit more aware of how long it was going to be there, but I was also more aware of what was inside and there was nothing that enticed me.
0: My dad went uh, lots of times. I need to record an episode of this where I don't mention my dad. I? Why? No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know what You I know feel like? He's the. He he's the Jack McElroy that I always wait to host his show with, and unfortunately,
0: he thrives on mentions. <laughs> his, ca- his catchphrase is, uh, did, he, "Did he mention me?" Like it, it genuinely is. <laughs> oh, I saw uh, this, but did he can mention we get, me? Can we get, They've never met you. Why have they mentioned you?
1: Can we get him possibly as um, in, in in way of thanks for um, a lot of the work he's done for the show and possibly doing for the show in the future. Uh, a t-shirt made that says thrives on mentions <laughs> <laughs> that's another strong catchphrase I think uh,
0: where was I Steve my uh, dad this is yeah.
1: dad for wanting simple appreciation for all the craving kids. attention
0: <laughs> he went to the Millennium Dome loads of times um, caretaker in a school and whenever oh, there was course. a trip yeah. to the Millennium Dome it'd go
1: Yeah.
0: so he went loads of times Did watching it, that Blackadder really film it. over and over again yeah he loved it it was brilliant <laughs> yeah. you know you go in rooms and it's like a uh, this is the inside of a human eye. And it's just like a billion LEDs and like, you know, just It's like a cross between the Science Museum and uh Thought
1: Park. No, not Ford even Park Park was yeah. it? Because just Fort Park with only the rubbish rights. It's like Fall
0: Park without the rights.
1: <laughs> so it's a museum in a park. No well uh, it just to me it looked like um it always looked like sort of you know if you like the boat show live and Top Gear live and the it was all these like BBC programs it was like Tomorrow's World live it's like
0: Tomorrow's World across with Kew Gardens
1: <laughs> no um yeah it was just never enough to you know entice me it was never anything else at all the, the, the centrepiece was that giant human body I don't want to be climbing around a human body do I am I Dennis Quaid
0: don't want to be climbing around the human bodies, do you? do I it's extraordinary is <laughs> <laughs> Regardless of what was going on inside, culturally it was this huge white elephant.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was um, commercially, creatively and culturally a failure, pretty much, wasn't it? Yeah, the
0: people used to bash the Labour government, really. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And it's now the O2 Arena, also hosting the Indigo Room, which uh, we recently went to see The Fall. We uh, did, and I saw floor. Kevin Smith there um, a couple of years ago, uh, which was great. I really enjoyed. It. Well,
1: I saw Da La Soul there a week after seeing the fall there. I'm loving it. It's great. Yeah, it's got you know all the all the chain restaurants. My, my thing is, uh, by nature, I'm quite a liberal person. I believe in state intervention. I believe in... in and me too. It showed that maybe governments aren't the best people to put together large-scale exhibitions. But if you then put that same space into the hands of private finance, they can probably turn it into somewhere worth going to. Lon- really London's me.
0: premier music venue. Yeah. Really it's a triumph me. of capitalism, yeah, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah. Wrong. I don't, yeah. I don't. I don't like the fact that it's a reasonable place to go. It's not a nice place to go. I'd like. it's, no, really it's sterile, isn't it? And, yeah. There's you go something... there
0: and you can only go and eat in a chain
1: place. This is the thing. It's the triumph of capitalism with everything that means. In it, that you can fill out with people, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good place. But it's just better than something the government could put together.
0: And I went to see the Arcade Fire there, and you can. They played Intervention, which is you know the one with the big church organ. Working for the church while your family dies.
1: Great, yeah, really good. It's a Bible. Know that version is going to help.
0: Well, me. that version's better than the one I saw there, where you couldn't hear the organ. What? Yeah, it was it was atrocious. The sound. Do you know
1: what they need the Wurlitzer huh? that was your Slavish organ. It's a throwback to uh, yeah. they would bring
0: that in from uh, Elephant and Castle. Yeah. Genu- I'm, the The rk I could genuinely do something with that.
1: Uh, we got free tickets to see the full. Um, the tickets I got to see. They're all the week after with free tickets. I'm actually find myself in a loop on this free ticket thing where I emailed this guy about free tickets for the fall, got them. He emailed me saying do you want free tickets? They saw the- yes, please got them. And I realized at this point, as long as I keep taking free tickets from this guy, it was like saying from like a grim fairy song, as long as I keep the magic sure. going, it's gonna go on forever. And I determined at that point, no matter what he offered me, I would con- continue to accept and just go thinking I'll go to a few Duff shows. It's free, isn't it? You can't go wrong. And then there'll be some, some great stuff up ahead. And then the week after Day of the Soul, he emailed me and said, uh, so, would you like some free tickets to see uh, Steve Harley and the Cockney Rebel? You've done it all.
0: Yeah? Did you get that? Nah, no,
1: of course not. Because, and that's the thing. I've, and since then, I've heard nothing from the guy. So <sighs> I broke the spell. My, ori- my, my, my original plan was to go. My plan B was to accept the tickets, go... Collect the tickets, get them scanned, and then go home immediately. So, according stay, to the date, Steve will
0: come up and see me.
1: That's, gonna, that's how that lasts. I'm not staying. Also, <laughs> I don't particularly like that song, so I'm not going to stay. Guitar. No, 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 no. <laughs>
0: it was a highlight of Top of the Pops 2 for me. Well, he's yeah. on Top of the Pops 2 every three weeks? <laughs> if you've enjoyed Steve talking about geography and history, <laughs> you've got a new blog, Steve, that's linked to the site, These Electro Avenues.
1: Yeah, it's going to be me writing about... Uh, the original It was going to be me writing about different places in South London. I've modified it a little bit now. Um, I have a thing, if I do a blog, I only do 36 entries. So I chose 36 places in South London. I then decided... Part of this is a tribute to you, because you know my fascination with you only living in adjoining places for a period in war, in the war Yeah, period. for 25 years. Yeah.
0: So... East Street, Villa Street, Merrow Street, Portland Street, Villa Street.
1: Incredible. Just moving, but only moving to adjoining places. So, in the spirit of that, um, these electric avenues will be me writing about 36 different places in South London, but each one will be adjoining the next. So, it'll be, I think, it, I've tried to sort of like plot the route out. It's basically a bit of a spiral and a loop around.
0: Will you be listening to Southside All Stars for inspiration? Deptford, New Cross, Peckham,
1: (laughs) Canberra. Yeah, I'll I'll be uh, writing about 54 places in 40 seconds.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The first one is on Penge.
1: That's right, yeah, Penge. It will be annually next. There's some exclusive content for our listeners.
0: Yeah, make sure you check back on southlandhardcore.com. There's much on there. Uh, Getting a bit bit of feedback as well, which is always nice. Do you want to share some feedback, Steve?
1: Yeah, you know, Obviously, with the links we put, we like to post them in places. You know, not spamming them. It's only places that are related, you know. I was
0: posting today on Facebook on different walls. Yeah. And a message came up and said, uh, it said, slow down. That was part of it. And it said, you're banned from posting for two days. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Cause I put up too many walls to the same link. <laughs> so when I say we're not spamming. <laughs> you're I, not, spamming. not spamming. I'm not spamming. Jack is definitely spamming. Didn't you get in trouble with um, uh, Yids? Spamming At one
0: point Yeah I've been ban- Banned by Facebook Before right, for posting okay. If you just post The same link On like uh, 25 walls they, they ever They're they monsters go. Aren't they like, can't put, can You can't you put The same spamming? link On 25
1: walls I remember at the time With uh, the Yids ban um, You put a status Up Don't say the
0: Yids ban so It just <laughs> sound like a...
1: But basically um, Facebook had, had Described it as uh, Spam Had they okay? And and your, your Facebook update was, um, uh, it's not spam, it's uh, quality football writing. My reply was, to me, it's both. Yeah. <laughs> you say it like they're mutually exclusive, they're both. You've got to spam it sometimes. Well, see, I don't spam, I, I try and direct it a bit more. So with the South London 11 that we put together, I tried to, we put it in a few places, relevant football teams and, and football forums. I also put it on the Facebook walls for the South London Press and Southwark News thinking these are places where people who are interested in South London related things. And I thought it's a good shout out for the show generally. So I put the link up for the South London episode, uh, South London 11 episodes, and uh, got one reply on the Facebook wall uh, from a woman who just underneath my link saying, we've done a podcast about South London football, just wrote a two-word reply, not interested. <laughs> 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 Basically, Which funny. is fine, don't be interested, mm. you know, no, no have to be interested, but...
0: But thanks for commenting, uh, Sandra L. Hessler Cox. <laughs> there you are. But speaking of uh, constructive feedback, Steve, um, I made a video, uh, directed and edited a video for a band called Screaming Ballerinas, uh, Songs Crucify. Great track. And the video is one of my better works. Um, as of four years ago. And there's been no comments on YouTube for a year. And I've got a comment today. Oh, what? Wow. Blah. <laughs> I don't know if that was aimed at me or at a song. Not me personally, but the video or the song. But well, it's me, not blah.
1: Let me tell you, I wasn't aiming at you.
0: <laughs>
1: not <laughs> interested. My favourite uh, comment on anything ever on the internet was um, a, re- a reply to a blog that you put up where.
0: <laughs> I re- Oh, yeah, I don't think Yeah,
1: some, some clown uh, went onto your website <laughs> and wrote a comment. Which pretty much sums up the internet, doesn't it? The internet stroke humanity, where his comment was, Shit blog, didn't even read it. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> and it's
1: like, if you want to undercut your own point, mate, do it. But again, why are you posting that? It's really odd. These people yeah, are yeah. so sort of motivated by the fact that they're not motivated. I'm not interested in this, but I'm going to let you know yeah. that I'm not interested. <laughs> Great, whatever. The thing is, we're doing, you know, a niche podcast. We're not expecting everyone to be interested. I would argue if you're reading subject news, you should at least be interested. But you're not interested. But yeah, shit blog. Didn't even read it. Amazing podcast. They didn't even listen to. It. <laughs> so uh, yeah, thank you and good night. Uh- <laughs>